welcome to Dolan Short with Tim and Tony. Oh, god damn it. Here we go. Yep, I'm Tim. And he's Tony. I'm regretting my life decisions right now is what I'm doing. That's <laughs> ah, all good, Tony. But tell me, Tim, why am I regretting my life decisions? It's episode 20, Tony, which means we have ourselves another serial killer episode. Now, compared to some of the previous serial killer episodes that I have discussed, I'm going to offer a very, very large warning at the top of this show. Because it's going to get bad. This episode features violence, mentions of abusive relationships, and sexual assault and rape. So, oh listener, Christ. so listener discretion is advised. And I am definitely going to be doing things a little differently as I have been in regards to topics. Because I've covered a Black Widow granny and a cannibal. But what if I told you that there were actually a couple of serial killers... That were in operation during the fledgling United States post-Revolutionary War, who were also highwaymen and river pirates. This is going to get weird, isn't it? You have no idea. Well, we happen to have just that kind of story lined up, Tony. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the bloody and vicious Harp brothers. Makaja Harp and Wiley Harp. And when I say no one was safe from these brothers, I mean it. Men, women, children, even babies. The Harps would kill you, sometimes in gruesome fashion, which we will get into. Mm. Now, I mean... I don't like where this is going. Now, I mean, where the hell did these guys come from? Now, I mean, quite appropriate enough, they probably sprang up from hell. <laughs> right. Just absolutely horrible monsters and, uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh... I mean, they were actually the worst horrible evil species from a different planet that landed on this earth and uh no I'm also making fun of that still. Uh I really don't know much. They they don't have much on their childhoods. There is a lot of speculation in regards just again, few records on the events of these on the facts of these guys the beginning of their lives versus legends that sprung up about these two. Legends definitely kind of uh superimposed over the harps. So they went on to become almost truly real-life demons just based on their name alone. So, I actually did find some facts and a whole lot of speculation about them, thanks to a main source being The Outlaw Years, The History of the Land Pirates of the Natchez Trace, by Robert Coates, which was one of the few best uh, sources I could find that were appropriate enough, as well as the Ministry of History. All that is interesting, Legends of America, and the Appalachia Bear. Just to name a few. Good lord. Yeah, some say... Now, some will say that McKay and Wiley were brothers, but most sources actually say that they were cousins who were named Joshua and William, who, you know, went but Who changed their names up. Yeah. But they grew up together to the point that they saw each other as brothers. Originally with the surname of Harper, before changing it to Harps to appeal more to their... English neighbors in the colonies because mm. they were, uh, I'll get right down to that. They also had nicknames. Makaja was known as Big Harp and Wiley was known as Little Harp. Their description I'll, I'll get into shortly. The likelihood is that they were both born in Scotland, hence why they wanted to change their name to something more English. Yeah. And they emigrated with <clears throat> their family to North Carolina, or they were born in North Carolina while their respective fathers were born in Scotland, and they settled in the areas between 1761 and 1763. It should also be said at this time that the Harpers were British loyalists. Oh, boy. Yep. So, uh, right then and there, kind of a... kind of a problem. Yeah, it's, uh... not going great, and it's not a great start. So... On their nicknames of Big and Little, this was due to their how their descriptions were on their wanted posters. And I actually have it right here. Uh, Makaja Harp is about six feet high of robust make and is about 30 to 32 years of age. He's an ill-looking, downcast countenance, and his hair is black and short, but comes very much down his forehead. He is built very straight and full-fleshed in face. When he is... 
when he went away, he had on a striped nankeen coat, dark blue woolen stockings, leggings of drab cloth, and trousers of the same as the coat. So, nankeen is uh, that pale yellowish material. Yeah. Yeah. Wiley Harp is the very meager in face, has short black hair, but not quite so curly as his brother's. He looks older, though really younger, and has likewise a downcast countenance. He had on a coat of the same stuff as his brother's, and had a surtout coat over the close-bodied one. His stockings dark, woolen ones, and his leggings of drab cloth. So, surtout's like a great coat, essentially. So... So, uh, other reports have had Wiley Harp having uh, red hair. Yeah. You know, the Irish. Yeah. Not the, 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 the Scottish. The yeah, Scottish the standard red. Scottish fair. But no, they were had they had dark hair and the kind of a kind of kind of goofy looking actually. I do have I do have based on descriptions of them. I sent those in the wrong order. Uh, <laughs> it's Wiley and Macadia, but swap them. So the guy who's looking. Off to, to the bo- side is... That's Wiley. Yeah. The guy's looking forward is Makaja. Okay. That's them. Uh, but that's kind of like, you know, oh, making kind of nice. This is what somebody else drew them as, and man, they're kind of nightmare fuel, if you ask me. Where it's appropriately now Makaja and, uh, and Wiley. <laughs> yeah, they ain't pretty looking. No. Oh, that's... That was a face even a mama can hate. Yep. So... From 1765 to 1771 in North Carolina was the War of Regulation, or the Regulator Movement. During this little period before the Revolution, citizens of the Carolinas decided to rise up and take arms against the British officials, who were seen as being too intrusive and getting in the way, not to mention being seen as corrupt. Yeah. The brothers' fathers may have been a part of a Tory militia group at this time, this wouldn't have been helpful for them late, a few years later when, just as the American Revolution was starting up in 1775, the Harpers tried to join the Patriots' forces, but they were refused due to their history with other Loyalist groups. In fact, they had Patriot neighbors who were outwardly hostile to them. It's speculated this might have been one of the few reasons as to why the brothers began their murderous crime spree. By Great. By 1775, McCage and Wiley decided to leave North Carolina and become slave overseers in Virginia. Obviously, we can't forget what is going on at this time as well. Revolution! (laughs) I couldn't resist. The first shots of the Revolutionary War had already rung out at this time. And it's certain of where the Harps brothers were. And it's uncertain where they were, really. But what is for certain is that they fought on the side of the British, likely out of revenge for their family's treatment by the American patriots. Although, fighting would be a nicer word here. uh, Because the Harps had decided to take advantage of the lawlessness of the Revolutionary War by joining a Tory rape gang. Ah, that's... Yeah, I I put my disclaimer uh, at the beginning of the episode, yeah, so is... I I warned I have warned listeners, uh-huh. um these gangs they would do they were the absolute worst. These gangs would kill, rape, burn down property, farms, s- steal everything. Not to say that this didn't happen on the Patriots' side either. Opportunists on both sides taking advantage of whatever they could, just absolute monsters. But. Accounts are said, there are accounts from one Captain James Wood of the Continental Army. Gangs like what the Harps got into were more like, you know, terrible volunteers who would survive through foraging, robbery, looting the battlefields, human vultures when you think about it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, scavengers. Yeah, battlefield scavengers, yeah. Given their violent mentality, I don't think they'd really care which side they were on as long as they got to kill, rob, and rape. And I cannot express how cartoonishly evil and violent these guys are going to be, so I'll just say that right now. They're going to get bad. The Harps would prove to be a thorn in Captain Woods' side, for he recounted how Little Harp, Wiley, had raped and kidnapped three women with a fourth one about to be taken, before Woods shot at Wiley, only wounding him. The fourth girl, in several sources I found, was thought to be Susan Wood, who happened to be Captain James Wood's daughter. So, 
This was personal for the captain. Yep. And But we're not through with the Wood family just yet. By 1778, there were still reports that the Harps gang was in a few battles, recounted by Frank Wood, the very son of Captain James Wood. Frank Wood had apparently fought against Wiley Harp twice, with Wiley being under Lieutenant Colonel Tarleton, who had often been thought to be one of the most bloodthirsty and cold British commanders during the Revolutionary War. But that is more up to speculation due to the Battle of Waxhaws in 1780. It was a British victory after the Patriots had surrendered, but Tarleton's men thought their, thought their lieutenant colonel was dead, and thus many were in a blind rage, and thus the Patriots were given no quarter, i.e. killed after they were surrendered instead of being taken prisoner. So, massive Jeez. miscommunication. Yeah, on... uh, slight error in translation there. Jesus Christ. Yeah. By about 1779, <laughs> the Harp's parents were all captured by Patriot vigilantes, and executed by hanging for their loyalist ties and fighting against the Patriots. Yeah. Yep. The brothers managed to escape this, and this for sure fueled their hatred and animosity towards anyone and everyone. So we created a monsters, basically. Give or take. Yeah. Give or take. Uh, after the Battle of Yorktown and the official end of the Revolutionary War, the Harps snuck off to some Tennessee villages west of the Appalachians, mm -hmm. living with the renegade Chickamauga Cherokee, who were a, uh, a group of Cherokee who separated from the main tribe during the Revolutionary War, for roughly about a decade in the village of Nickajack. N-I-C-K-A-J-A-C-K. Nope. Just making a point there. Nope. In this time, the brothers joined Chickamauga Cherokee war parties against several Patriot frontier settlements, such as attacking Bluff Station at Fort Nashboro, now modern-day Nashville, so their bloodlust would be fueled. They also fought in the Battle of Blue Lick in 1782, defeating Patriot forces that were led by none other than Daniel Boone. Of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was also in this decade of living with the Chickamauga Cherokee that the Harps kidnapped Maria Davidson, who would be given the new name of Betsy or Betty Roberts, and Susan Wood. The very same Susan Wood from earlier, in fact. These women would go on to become the wives, in air quotes, of the brothers, but they were used more as sex slaves. Yeah, it's... I feel like wives is probably a very loose term. Yeah, the women would be abused sexually, physically, and mentally for years. Mm. Maria would be forced to marry Wiley, while Susan would be forced to marry Macadia. The two would be told to act as sisters who had married the brothers. It should be no surprise that both women would be used by both brothers. I didn't want to use the word shared, but I did not have anything else to pick for appropriation on this one. So it's a uh, kind of rough. One one member of the Harps gang, Moses Doss, mm. no relation to Nanny Doss, just <laughs> coincidental name. Yeah, of course, coincidental. Uh, he he grew very concerned for the women, and the Harps killed him without a second thought. They just they just tomahawked his head and left him to rot. Jesus. Yeah, things are not gonna get any better from here for a while. I mentioned the village of Nickajack earlier. This village was essentially a place where robbers, outlaws, murderers, rapists, the worst of society, really, yeah. lived, who could only attack, rob, or kill people who got too close. It was here that Maria and Susan would become pregnant, and in several sources, once the children were born, the Harps would kill their own babies. If this were uh... real and not made up... I don't think I could tolerate meeting horrible people like this. Yeah. Like, that could be just uh, uh, speculation and legend just to signify how bloodthirsty these guys were. Christ, what a couple of freaking psychopaths. Yeah, and it's not going to get better for a minute. By 1794, the Harps would leave here, and they would head to an area close to Knoxville. They had learned of an incoming attack from an American militia, and they didn't inform their Chickamauga Cherokee friends who were there, leaving them to suffer at the hands, guns, and swords of the American militia. 
Truly no honor among thieves. Mm. After this, there's not a lot to be said about what the Harps were doing and where they went, but it goes without saying that they probably robbed, killed, and raped as they had done before. Yeah, they just kind of went down the path. That is most of the backstory taken care of. Mm. We now find ourselves out in the western frontiers of the fledgling United States in 1797. Of course, when I say western United States, I mean the Appalachian Mountain border. That's about all I can do there. Tennessee, Illinois, Kentucky, Mississippi. These would be the hunting grounds for the Harps Brothers, particularly the Natchez Trace, which I'm about to send you a photo of. Yeah. And, like, like an overall, like, what the trail looks like, as well as kind of the, how it would have looked. So, thick wooded areas, mountainous, easy to get from above, as well as the Cumberland Gap and the Ohio I've River. Of, I've heard, yeah, the Cumberland Gap I've heard of. Yeah, it was one of the, it's the lower, Appala- lower Appalachians, one of the easy, most Man. famous passes. You know. The Nat, before, I, before, um, real quick. The Natchez Trace is roughly 440 miles long and was used by several Native American tribes oh, well yeah. before it was set up. Yeah, and, it was pre-existing. Yeah, and they also used the Ohio River, mm-hmm. which is 900, which is 981 miles, which starts up around Pennsylvania and West Virginia before reaching the Mississippi. Yeah, yeah, I, hmm. the, not because of these guys, but you have to give credit to people that live in Appalachia mm-hmm. because they will do, they can self-sustain so well with so little stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, the the whole Appalachian area is just, mm. that's one, that's one of the U.S.'s weirdest mysteries, I think, is just how bizarre and crazy it gets deep in the woods in there. Appalachia, the the mountains themselves, they've been around longer than in the Rockies, than the Earth, really. Yeah. Like they're truly something that is outside of. They are their own eldritch horror, almost. Yeah, they really are. It's 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 so fascinating. They're older than maybe that's why everyone that lives in Appalachia is so nothing against that group of people because I have relatives from that area. But they are the breed of human all their own. Oh, without a doubt. They're very much a wholly like all, different Yeah, group all of jokes people. aside, because we all know those kind of jokes. Yeah. But yeah, that Appalachian mountain men, whole different breed. Yeah, big time. Like, no doubt. No doubt. Like, so it's. God. Uh, that, that is more terrifying to me than any supernatural horror movie. Mm-hmm. is meeting a mountain man and being on the pissed off side of it. Oh, yeah. Like, mm-mm, nope, I'll just shoot myself now and end it. Make it easy. But back to the Harps. Out this way, the Harps had for sure had a cabin set up around Beaver's Creek, which was near Knoxville in yep. 1797. Here, Wiley Harp had met and married Sarah Rice, who was the daughter of a local minister. I'm not sure how Wiley managed this, honestly, but it's likely there may have been some trickery afoot. Because while living in Beaver's Creek, I, I, I could imagine, before I get into that, I could imagine, like, you know, trying to be all, yeah, I'm actually a traveling minister, and I'm traveling minister, and I just, uh, I find your daughter highly attractive, and I'd like to court her, sir. I, I could see some trickery going mm-hmm. on like that. Fucking hell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because Wiley, he's the smarter of the two. Like, McCage, or Big, as he is, he's the muscle, and yeah. Wiley's literally a wily little weasel. You smarmy bastard. While but while they were living in Beaver's Creek, the Harps would raise hogs to butcher and sell. But one of their neighbors began to suspect the Harps were stealing hogs from other settlers in the area. Yep. Their reputation was also not that good either due to their frequent drinking, gambling, and starting fights. Not long after, homes and barns caught on fire, particularly the people who spoke up with grievances against the Harps. Coincidence? I think not. No. Absolutely no coincidence. The Harps were eventually caught for trying to steal horses from from a man named Edward Teal. Teal had gathered a posse to trap the Harps at their cabin. When the angry mob got there, they were met with an empty cabin. They were able to follow horse tracks through and, though, and follow them into the wilderness where the Harps were. Not too far away, like maybe ten feet. The posse managed to overtake the brothers and get the horses back. 
The Harps didn't put up a fight and were led back to Knoxville. But as they were being led back, the Harps broke away from their captors and vanished into the wilderness once again. The two escaped into the wilderness until they came upon a tavern that was just outside the settlement of Knoxville. This tavern, called a Rowdy Groggery, was usually frequented by brawlers and bruisers from the river and skulkers from the town. On this night, it was mostly unoccupied save for the tavern owner, a couple of patrons, and a man named Johnson, who wanted more to drink, but the tavern owner, by name of Hughes, told him it was closing time. No one is for sure what exactly happened between the Harps and Johnson, after the Harps had showed up at the tavern. Johnson is thought to be the one of the accusers against the Harps, and a few days later, his body would be found in the river. He was disemboweled, and his body cavity had been filled with rocks. Oh. This poor bastard would not be the only one to suffer this particular dispatch. The Harps managed to get away with this because the authorities thought the, ta thought the tavern owner and the other few patrons had killed Johnson, but they were then let go due to lack of evidence. Mm. Yeah. Mm. A few days later, on the north branch of the Wilderness Road, a poor peddler was found tomahawked to death. Whatever goods he had on his person were taken. Further out, and a little more west into the wilderness, two more bodies were discovered, a couple of travelers from Maryland. One of them was found shot in the back, while the other had their heads split open by a tomahawk. Both mm. bodies were also stripped of their clothing, and all three victims had been thought to be victims of the Harps. Uh, yeah, I, I would think so. Yeah, they're that starting sounds to... Sounds like a traditional M.O. They're starting, they're leaving a little trail behind. Yeah. Christ. Several months later, in early December 1798, a young man named Stephen Langford stopped at a tavern inn that was owned by John Ferris. This tavern inn was known to many travelers, since it sat between a few settlements, as well as a 30-mile stretch of unbroken forest between the settlements that was called the Wilderness. And it was said to have, this, the wilderness of this specific area was said to have ravines and be filled with natives that were ready to attack any lone trespassers. <laughs> so, people protecting their land, really. God. Most of the time, travelers would form parties at this tavern inn, usually by sticking scrawled notes on the tavern's door, or they'd have portions in the newspapers detailing the track. Uh, kind of like that uh, one inn in Skyrim, where you're not too far away from Riften. Just like, I think it's south of Riften. You know what I'm talking about. Kind of like that. Yeah. Where you just, where it's like out in the middle of nowhere. And oh, it, that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Not the bad one. Like, yeah, I yeah. know which one though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Langford arrived at the tavern and he found it was just him and Ferris who insisted the young man wait for a group before heading out, which Langford did. Because I mean, when you're traveling, you don't want to travel alone, especially in the wilderness. No. The next day, he saw two men and three women, as well as a couple of uh, spavined horses which I looked essentially like, you know, slightly tired and yeah. exhausted. The five people were a little dirty and ragged, but they were armed, and Langford figured that he'd found his party. The five people were silent, while Langford insisted on paying for their breakfast, before offering to join them into the wilderness towards Crab Orchard. Langford had a well-filled wallet that he kept in his coat pocket. After their meal was paid, Langford and his new group walked on and disappeared into the wilderness. His body would be found a week later, tomahawked to death. Mm. He was missing his clothes and any goods he carried with him. Obviously, nearby settlements were not going to have this. No. From the town of Stanford, a posse led by Captain Joseph Ballinger set out to find the murderous harps. And, much like at Beaver Creek, they didn't travel far to find the gang. Yeah. The posse managed to find the harps and their captive women sitting on a log right next to the Natchez Trace. The Harps offered no fight and allowed themselves to be taken back to Stanford. As they were being arraigned, the Harps went by the alias of Roberts, while Maria went by Elizabeth Waker. A couple of names that they're really going yeah, with here. Probably made up or They stole. had to, yeah. 
The arraignment was merely for formalities because everyone knew these everyone knew these two were murderers. Oh yeah. And they'd been seeking. Yeah. And Captain Ballinger said he found a pocketbook with the name of Stephen Langford, some fine linen shirts, a great coat, and several other possessions that were linked to Langford. Mm-hmm. Several innkeepers also testified they had also seen the Harps travel along the wilderness. With this, the Harps and their wives, I keep that in air quotes every time I wrote yeah. it on here, uh, were taken, they were taken to Danville District Jail awaiting trial and execution. But matters would only get more complicated because all three women that were with the Harps were visibly pregnant and close to giving birth. Mm-hmm. This made the jail's warden, John Beagler, both the turnkey and a nurse, keeping an eye on the women's pregnant status. Great. Couldn't make it easy, could they? Nope. As for the jail the Harps were in, it wasn't very big. It was one of your classic frontier-style jails. You know, wooden structure made of thick nine-inch wood with a central breezeway, Two windowed prison cells, dirt floor, and a chimney for and a chimney and fireplace for warmth. Yeah. I can still bet that McAja and Wiley were kept in one of the cells, and the three women were kept in the other. Oh yeah, I'm sure. No, no doubts about that. Even worse, it was it was found out that the Roberts, quote unquote, were the Harps, and people from all over clamor to see the infamous killers in person. Yeah, humans, it does not surprise me, humans have had a fascination with morbidity since the damn beginning. Oh, yeah. So, it's like, oh, we get to see these monsters of men in person? And we're safe? Oh, my yes. God. Like, I mean, and like you, be honest, if you had the opportunity to do, would you witness, would you go do that, or would you witness not want to... execution, or just go see, like... Go see them. Or would you not want to fuel their ego? genuine question like not trying to yeah i don't think i would i if i couldn't like probe their brains a little bit and like ask a few questions nah what's the point fair enough yeah i mean yeah no i don't think i would Nah. nah i i wouldn't i feel like i would be stoking their uh their ego yeah and sure enough like all these people clamor to see them it should be no surprise the harps like this attention of course they did. McAja would boast about his strength and offer to fight two men in a fair fist fight. Per the agreement, he'd be let free if he won. Some visitors actually thought it was a sporting offer. Like, oh, he's a murderer, but he's but if he beats them, I think that's a good. I think that he deserves the right to live. It's like get the hell out of here. That's not how this works. That's not. That's not how any of this works. Nope. All the while, Beagler had also ordered handcuffs and ironware for the men while getting infusions and items to help the pregnant women. In a cash book ledger that Beagler kept, it shows him ordering horse locks to chain the men's feet, as well as tea for the women. He also purchased a new lock for the jail, as well as three pounds of nails to fortify said jail. Jesus. He also also included more tea, some sugar, a bed for the women to help them birth their children, including paying for a midwife. So he's... A lot of money is getting sunk trying. in. Yeah. A lot of money getting sunk into these. Yeah. But then by March 16th, 1799, the Harps escaped and left behind their women, who all gave birth in the Danville jail. Shit. I'm not sure how they managed to escape, but the Harps were gone once again. Mm-hmm. Sons of bitches just being slippery little bastards. Wonder how they broke out. I mean, possibility is I mean Harp I mean McAja Harp was strong. He may have May have found a way to do it. I don't know. Let's see. But with the news of the Harps' escape, more posses were hastily formed, armed with rifles, pitchforks, whatever was on hand. And out into the surrounding wilderness, these groups went to hunt down the Harps. Most of these groups even carried a length of rope to hang the Harps. One group managed to find the Harps, who rose and stood against the posse with a fierce glare. In the startled hesitation, the Harps and the posse ran into the wilderness... In opposite directions. <laughs> Quite truly, just... They're the harps. Run! Ah! And the other guys and the harps. Let's Run! get the fuck out! Hence, 
Henry Skaggs was one such member of this posse. He was an experienced mountaineer and outdoorsman, given the moniker the Kentucky Long Hunter. He tried to reform the scattering and scared members, but they were too scared of the harps. Once again, legend the, the legend around these guys was scary enough. Yeah. So Skaggs went alone to take on the harps himself. As he made his way further into the wilderness, about an hour later, he came across a large clearing that had 30 settlers who were dancing and drinking, celebrating newcomers after a good old cabin raising. Because this is back when, uh, you know, settlements were were starting up and everything, so it was a whole festival, really. Uh, someone comes in and says, yeah, we're going to settle here, we've got some land. It's like, sweet, everybody, get the wood, get the axes, we're making a new home. And then everybody, yeah. then it'd just be a big old celebration of drinking. Oh, yeah. Skaggs told the crowd about the monsters known as the Harps, and that he needed help. The men of the group were well drunk, but they were more than excited to track down some dangerous people. They grabbed demijohns and rifles and followed Skaggs into the wilderness. Yeah, the big, the big fucking jugs. They jugs and rifles to take on the take on the Harps. The, the demo what's? The demijohns. Hi, I'm I'm Doug Dibino. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't be too long, though, before the drunken enthusiasm would be met with the ever-sobering emotion of fear. Mm-hmm. They all traveled back to their settlement, and Skaggs was back on his own once again. <laughs> At least he tried. In his hunt for the harps, Skaggs comes across the cabin of Colonel Daniel Trabu, who had aided the Patriot forces with supplies during Yorktown as well as fighting and skirmishes with local native tribes. Nice. He was also a justice of the peace, and thus was seen as a respected member of his area. After Skaggs had told Trebu about the hunt for the harps, Trebu was more than game to hunt down these monsters, but he wanted to wait for his son to get home. His son had just traveled down the trail to a neighbor's house for beans and flour. The men smoked and talked while they waited for the boy to return, and while they waited... The boy's dog was running up to the house. Its fur was smeared with blood. Immediately sensing the worst, the two men followed the dog back to where it had come from, and Tribu's son was dead. His body was shot, stabbed, beaten, and tomahawked. It was almost, if not, dismembered. The harps, in a famished frenzy, had killed this boy for nothing more than retaliation and had taken the flour and beans that he had on him. Tribu and Skaggs hunted the wilderness for several days, but they were unable to find the harps. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. We're going to hop back to Danville for a moment. Back to the three women they left behind. All three women, Susan Wood, Maria Davidson, and Sarah Rice, were acquitted for their crimes, likely due to the judge being a sympathetic person and understanding that these women were victims of the harps. Yeah. Robert Coates wrote... Their downcast looks, the hard conditions of their life, the pitiful circumstances of their motherhood had all combined to sway public opinion in their favor. Yeah. That's yeah, the, mm-hmm. they were they were victims. Very much so. Like they are Absolutely. they are victims. Yeah. With their acquittal, the women all said they wanted to return to Knoxville and begin life anew. So, the settlers around Danville collected several provisions, clothes, and even an old gray mare to help them on their way. The women were escorted to Warden Beagler, by Warden Beagler to the settlement's edge, and soon after, they disappeared into the wilderness. There were a few spies hiding in the woods in the event the women would lead them back to the harps. Oh, yeah. But the spies lost sight of the three after a short while. And you see, while the women had said they wanted to go to Knoxville, they went the opposite direction and headed to the Green River instead. Here they traded their mare for a canoe and rowed down the river. It was here the spies lost the trail. It's uncertain as to why the women did what they did, and I'm not going to speculate or be an armchair psychiatrist, but I'm, I feel as though, you know, Stockholm Syndrome oh, may have been in yeah. play here. Absolutely. Or something that, or not even that, that because they had seen what the harps were capable of, uh... I'm a, I'm certain that they may have been afraid of what would happen to their families and loved ones. Whatever the case, 
the women rode down the river to a predetermined location to meet with the harps. And obviously, with the harps free and on the run once again, the country was certainly not feeling well about it. Yeah. News of two more deaths attributed to the harps came out. A man named Dooley was killed near the town of Edmonton, Kentucky. Another man by the name of Stump was found by the Barren River. There was no details about Dooley's murder, but I'm certain it was very gruesome. And then a guy named Stump. I mean, a guy named like that in a frontier setting. Dooley? <laughs> A guy named Stump is not going to last long either. No. That's, mm. I, I, I definitely feel for Stump on this one. Uh, he was just out fishing when he saw smoke from a campfire. Thinking about there were new settlers had come in, he gathered a turkey, a line of fish, his fiddle, and a jug of whiskey, oh, and no. rode his canoe over to meet the newcomers. A few Hi, neighbors. Hatchet. A few days later, he would be found dead, his body tomahawked, disemboweled, stuffed with gravel and rocks, and thrown into the river. The word of the day, kids, is tomahawk. <sighs> I, 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 I do feel for him on that one. Oh, yeah. He's trying to be neighborly. Trying to be a friendly and neighbor. And tomahawked in the face. These Jesus. assholes just appeared out of nowhere. There were some... There was some good with the deaths of Dooley and Stump. It told everyone the direction the harps were going. North and westward, toward the Ohio and Mississippi rivers. Mm-hmm. With this news... Many vigilante groups set forth in the same direction, ready to take on these murderous bastards. To stoke that fire more, the governor of Kentucky, James Garrard, put out a $300 bounty on both harps' heads. Now, in today's money, that'd be about $6,000 to $7,000. That's not bad. Adjusting for inflation, mind you. Yeah. But not bad. Posses formed like wildfire, and they sought out to find the harps for that reward money. In the process of not finding the harps, the posses would find lesser aggressors of the law and turn them in instead. They, I mean, were, they were cleaning up the wilderness. Yep. This resulted in 15 outlaws being hanged, while several hundred were whipped and thrown out of the settlements. Nice. Despite all of these efforts, though, the posses never managed to find the harps, who seemed to have just vanished. But Disappeared they d- into Appalachia. But they didn't. They managed to escape the posse, by reaching, this location definitely gets me, uh, Cave in Rock. Cave in Rock. And that's what it looks like. It is the... <laughs> ju- it's, it's a cave in a rock. Yep, and you see the people right there next to it. That's a, that's a height, that's for a size variation right there. Jesus. Yes, it was the headquarters and stronghold of river pirate Samuel Mason. So now we have pirates involved. Mason's group of river pirates would attack flatboats and rafts along the Ohio River, robbing and killing those they found. The posse stopped just before the posse that was hunting down the harps had stopped just before Cave in Rock and turned around, thus allowing the harps to get away once again. Cave in Rock is about 55 feet wide that was carved by the elements into the rocky bluff and it's actually yeah. very deep like so it's a it's a very large place and uh, easy to hide in if you just keep quiet. Yeah. It was here the Harps would join Mason's gang, the two men and their three wives and their children. They had kids, which still is sickening to me a little. The Harps enjoyed being river pirates, maybe a little too much. Samuel Mason was a pirate, thus he was also a killer. Same for those in his gang. But... Even they thought the harps were a little too bloodthirsty. I'm talking the harps were so used to killing, they would torture their victims and slowly kill them. Some sources say the harps would skin their victims alive. Or they would do even some more twisted shit, like um, this, for example. One night, after another successful flatboat raid, the Mason gang had sat down around a fire at the mouth of the cave and were divvying up the booty. The harps were nowhere to be seen, which was no surprise to the river pirates. The harps weren't greedy and would take their share. As Mason and his crew went through the spoils, they heard a great commotion at the top of the bluff as the sounds of wild cries and thudding hooves crashed through the brush at the top of the bluff, until the river pirates all saw a large horse coming running over the top, 
a terrified and naked rider strapped to its back. They both came crashing down into a bloody heap. The pirates were taken aback by what they had seen until they heard riotous laughter coming from the bluff. They all looked up and saw McCage and Wiley looking down at them. Apparently, they had saved this poor soul from the flatboat massacre from earlier that day and had been waiting to put on this spectacle for the river pirates. This was enough for Mason and his gang to kick the harps out. Truly, they were outlaws to even outlaws. The harps would head back to Tennessee in July 1799, still leaving a bloody swath in their wake. While looking for a rifle, they killed the young son of Chelsea Coffee, who I could only find as Ochesley Coffee. I could only find him as Young Coffee. The young man was carrying a rifle with him, and the harps had found him. They smashed his head against a tree. Just, just a few days later, William Ballard was found dead, disemboweled, and thrown in the river. News of the Harps heading back to Tennessee spread like wildfire. And, learning about this, the Harps thought of something. You gotta remember, during this time there's no photography and everything is based on description and artist interpretation, right? Yep. The Harps didn't take on... The Harps decided to take on another alias once again and act like they were hunting themselves. Here's the Uno reverse card. An Uno reverse card now, man. We're looking to find the harps. Absolutely, let's hey man, go find them. You guys it. look a lot like them. I know, it's weird, isn't it? It's, yeah, I mean, we get that a lot, actually. And this ruse wound up working on two brothers, James and Robert Brassels. The harps tricked the Brassels into the woods, claiming they were on the hunt for the harps. Once they were all well into the woods... The Harps then accused the Brassel brothers of being the Harps. Uno reverse card once again! <laughs> and, wanted to t- and wanted to turn the Brassels in. James decided he wanted to go with the Harps back to the settlement to clear his name. But Robert managed to make an escape from the Harps, narrowly getting shot by Wiley. Robert Brassel ran for several miles until he came across a group of people he knew who were also looking for the Harps. Brassel told them what had happened and where the harps were, so he led the group back to where he had come from. They found his brother dead, severely beaten, and his throat slit open. Oh, no tell long. Damn it. This fueled the party who set out to track the harps, who they find, but after a standoff, the posse backed away, and the harps managed to, to get away once again. The very name of the harps had now had an eerie effect on many of the settlers around the area. We're now in roughly late spring to early summer of 1799, and the Harps are still killing people! Still working. They kill a man named John Tully. No details about his death. Then a random farmer named Bradbury. Also, no details on his death. Then another man by the name of John Graves. Kind of ironic on the name. Uh. John Graves, on the nose. John Graves and his young teenage son. Uh, their heads were axed in and thrown outside of their cabin. Their bodies were found after a large number of buzzards began circling above their cabin. The Harps might have been throwing people off the scent, so to speak, as they head back east towards Kentucky, intent on tracking down Colonel Tribue, who had uh-huh. now become an enemy of theirs. Shocker. No. Shocker. <laughs> Christ. I mentioned earlier that Tribune was a justice of the peace and he had many affidavits of the Harps' crime as well as lists of their names of the victims. He also prepared his will and drew up descriptions of the Harps. Then the descriptions and affidavits were printed out and dispersed throughout the various towns and settlements. So he was ready to go. He was like, I'm probably going to die if I fight these guys, so I'm getting myself set up. Oh boy. Neighbors gathered at his cabin and they all wait for the harps to show up. The tension is thick. You could cut it with a knife. They wait, and they wait, and the harps don't show up. The harps appear to be headed west again, back to Cave-In Rock. August 1799 was another bloody month. I mean, it's been a bloody couple of years now for these guys. Yeah, no shit. It's, uh, it's escalated. But it would prove to be the final leg of the harps' murderous spree. Some of the sources I found say the Harps had come across a family killing everyone in their tents. Not long after, they killed a slave by bashing his head against a tree. 
They killed the little girl who was out picking berries. They left her body mangled and decapitated. Truly, no one was safe from the harps. They didn't care who you were, what you did, anything. If you were in their path, you were as good as dead. Along the way back, they come across a hunter named John Slover, who was headed back home from a bear hunt. He heard the click of a rifle hammer behind him. He turned and saw the two men pointing guns at him. Oh, great. Fantastic. The, the gun went off, but the musket ball missed him, and he ran off. He had no idea he had just encountered and survived the harps. Shortly after, the harps put on disguises and looked like traveling preachers, dressed in black coats and buckskin gaiters. Oh, gaiters, no. G-A-I-T-E-R, the like boot covers. Yeah. The women were left at a rendezvous point to gather supplies and money. Sources unsure as to how they acquired the money, and I'm not going to say how for the sake of uh, respect for them. Yeah. While in disguise as preachers, the harps are welcomed into the cabin of James Tompkins, who offers them a noon meal. Macaja Harp even said grace before they ate. Tompkins asked why two preachers would need to be heavily armed looking at the rifles. They acted as if they were afraid of themselves, saying they'd rather be strapped than run afoul of the harps. <laughs> Tompkins said he was low on gunpowder, so his defense wasn't in the best condition. Macaja Harp, who had let the role of preacher take over, offered up some gunpowder to Tompkins. Like, well, that's an unfortunate shame. Here, I got some, got some extra gunpowder for you. After this, the harps left. Tompkins then prepared his rifle, which would play a major factor in two days. Several hours later, the harps come across the Stiegel residence. The man of the house, Moses Stiegel, was not there, and he had a reputation of being out for long periods of time. There were also rumors that Stiegel had some dealings with the harps. But his wife, their infant son, and a surveyor by the name of Major William Love were there instead, and Mrs. Stiegel was up, awaiting her husband to return. When the harps arrived, Major Love was up in the loft having a nap when they approached. He was awakened by Mrs. Stiegel, and the four adults sat together, with Mrs. Stiegel sewing, while Love and the harps talked. But still, Moses Stiegel had not returned. Thus, the men all climbed back up into the loft to rest. There's a possibility that the harps weren't going to kill anyone at the Stiegel residence, and they just wanted a place to rest and hide. But when love passed out between them, they got that itch again. Soon after, they hopped down from the loft. Love was dead. He'd been so deep in his sleep that the harps killed him, he didn't make a noise. The only signs that told Mrs. Stiegel something was wrong was likely the evil look in the men's eyes, as well as possibly some blood splatter on their hands. Macaja Harp claimed that Love snored too loud. A few hours later, and a few hours later too late, honestly, Moses Stiegel came home to a horrific scene. His house was burning, his wife was gasping for breath as she lay dying outside, and his infant son was dead. Moses Stiegel, like many others before him, swore vengeance against the Harps. His burning house had attracted several of Stiegel's neighbors, including Silas McBee, who had spotted the Harps earlier that night, having been alerted by his guard dog. So, you know, we got a good boy in this, keeping an eye on his, uh, <laughs> keeping an eye on his owner. Good boy. Uh, Samuel Leeper, James Tompkins, and John Williams. Cue big epic orchestral music where they have a Grammy right now. <laughs> Duel of the... Oh, no. Oh, no, oh, no. The men all quickly joined together into a posse and set out to track the harps down, with Stiegel in the lead. I definitely think that Stiegel may have had some dealings with the harps, because, I mean, they likely didn't want to kill there, so they knew him. He may have been a shady little, a shady little weasel himself. But Probably. there's there's speculation on that one. Yeah. In about two days, the posse found the harps and their women and children. The harps were yelling at a stranger on the trail with the intention of killing and robbing him. The women and the children stood off in a cluster, motionless and silent. 
but the stranger was let go due to the posse closing in. Both harps hopped onto their horses and tried to escape. Wiley managed to vanish into the thicket while Makaja went down the trail. The posse would follow after Makaja while riding past the women and children. The trail was over rolling country, and by, reach and by reaching the second hilltop, they were within firing range. Samuel Leeper had been in front, and he took a shot at Makaja, but the shot seemed to have no effect. He tried to reload again, but his ramrod was stuck in its casing from rusting in the rain. While Leeper tried to free it, Tompkins rode up next to Leeper and said, Here, take my gun. You got the fastest horse, and you're the best shot, so you better take it. <laughs> Leeper took the gun and fired. Hitting Makaja square on the spine. Writing effects now. Okay, I could great. resist. <laughs> Striking Makaja harp square in the spine. The posse managed to get closer now and saw the Makaja's horse had slowed down, while its rider seemed to be dazed, almost unconscious. Leaper and Tompkins rode up ahead and pulled Makaja off his horse before they waited for the rest of the party. Once Moses Stiegel got there, he was fuming. He ran over to the fallen harp and began kicking the dying man before brandishing his knife, saying he was going to cut off McCage's head. But the angry man was restrained by the rest of the posse. If he died, he died. But if McCage lived, the posse intended for him to stand trial for his crimes. He may have been a criminal, but due process. I guess. I don't know. As McCage lay dying, he confessed to his crimes and murders. Feeling no remorse for any of them, he said he had a vision, a vision, and that the all-wise had made him and Wiley scourges to humanity. But apparently, there was one murder that McCage did regret, and I'm kind, I kind of left this one near the end because it's pretty fucking gruesome and cold. Yeah. One night, one night while they were on the run, McCage's infant daughter was crying, and that made him snap. He grabbed the infant and bashed her head in against a tree before tossing her body into the woods. He says this is the only murder he regrets. Really? That's it? That's, that's the, the only, only one? one out of, okay. That's, that's the only one out of all of them he regrets. Nothing. Okay. Not any of the others. After an hour had passed, Moses Stiegel aimed his rifle at Macadia, but instead of shooting the murderous bastard, Stiegel grabbed Harp's knife and slowly and painfully cut Macadia's head off while the dying man was still conscious. Makaja Harp, Big Harp, was finally dead. Oh, thank God. His head was put into a sack while his body was left for scavengers. Afterward, the head was put on a spike at a, at a crossroads near Stiegel's old cabin. Some say it was put in a tree. Either way, it's mounted. Yeah, either one. And it stayed there for a while until it was nothing but a skull, bleached from the sun and rain. Eventually it was taken down because it unnerved a few people. But yeah. But two years of terror were finally up at last. At least, with one harp. Wiley managed to escape. And we haven't seen the last of him just yet. Uh, As for the harp women, Susan Wood, Maria Davidson, and Sally Rice, they were arrested, stood trial, and were acquitted. To the chagrin of Moses Stiegel, who wanted the three to pay for the harp's crimes, since he saw them as associates. They were finally free of the harps, and the judge felt they'd suffered enough hell. Susan Wood went back to Tennessee, where she married and lived a respected and quiet life. Maria Davidson, now going by the name Betsy Roberts, married John Huff Stutler in 1803. In 1828, they moved to Illinois, having a large family and growing old, until they passed in the 1860s. Sally Rice went back to Knoxville to live with her father, before she married an upstanding man and then moved to Illinois, bringing her father along as well. Happy endings for the victims of these two monsters. Christ. Mm-hmm. So, little little silver lining in this dark cloud. But, what about Wiley Harp? What happened to that snake? Well, remember Samuel Mason, the river pirate? Wiley ran back to him. Yep, there it is, yep. 
And he wasn't caught for another four years, Jeez. having gone by several different names. Yeah, like, about, yeah. Like John Taylor and John Sutton. Just, just basic names. Oh, yeah. Wiley, along with the rest of Mason's gang, had been captured, but he and Mason managed to escape, although Mason had been shot in the process of the escape. Not long after, another criminal, Peter Alston, who was using the alias of James May, had arrived. Captain Slow. <laughs> and had arrived and said he was looking for Mason. Wiley Harp, still going by John Sutton, led Alston back to Cave-In Rock, where Mason was. Now, I mean, it's uncertain if Mason died from his injuries during the escape or if Wiley killed him, but either way, Samuel Mason was also dead, finally. And he had a very large bounty on his head. No. Some sources I found had that there was a $2,000 bounty on Mason. That was in that time, so it was like... That's a lot more money. It's probably four figures nowadays. Five figures, at least. Yeah. And Wiley wanted to collect on that. Alston and Harp cut his head off and rode into town, wanting that bounty. A lot of head cutting in this episode. Well, you know. When they got when they got to town, Wiley was almost immediately found out to be the last Harp, thanks to a scar under his left nipple that he'd been given to by John Bowman. <laughs> you escape death for four years, and you bring in your accomplice that helped you escape that death. To collect his bounty, and you're undone by a nipple scar. Yep, right underneath the left nipple. I'm not sure I want to know how the people found out about the nipple scar. Well, they may have said, well, he looks like him, and then John Bowman was probably there and said, I recognize him. The only way to find out, he's got a scar under his left nipple. That might have been how it went. That's weird. Yeah, it's a weird, weird detail, but that's there. Wiley and Alston made an attempt to escape, but they were quickly recaptured in Greenville. They were then quickly tried, found guilty, and were then hanged on February 8th, 1804. Their heads were also then cut off and put on spikes. The bodies were buried in a nearby cemetery, but the town of Greenville didn't want their rotten bodies in their cemetery. So one night, the townsfolk gathered torches and shovels, dug up the outlaws' bodies, carried them into the woods, buried them in unmarked and bury them in unmarked locations. And thus, we come to a bloody conclusion for a pair of bloody murderers who have been given the moniker, the dubious moniker, I should say, of being America's first serial killers. Christ. Yep. Didn't think I'd pull one out on you, did you? That is... Jesus Christ. I said frontier justice. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> the harps actually did appear in a couple of like old western movies uh and obviously as the bad guys no they were folk heroes folk heroes sure for satan jesus i told you they got, these guys sprang up from hell like they oh, are shit. like i mean i I've, I've covered i've not even they're like they're one of the most bloodthirsty because what's even worse is that they almost took an ecstatic, an ecstatic pleasure in it, which is even worse. Ugh. I hate hearing the word pleasure and murder at the same time because that makes it weird. Yeah. Or... Now, before I go on, uh, due to the content of this episode, I, due to the content of this episode, I really felt like I should do something because I was even I was having a rough time reading this. Yeah. And so, uh, we're not sponsored in any way by this, but I just feel like I had to do this. If you or anyone you know is going through a domestic situation or sexual assault, call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673, while the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 800-799-7233. The calls are confidential. We are not sponsored in any way by RAIN, the Rape, Assault, Incest National Network, but I feel like due to the nature of the uh, harp women, of the three women, I, I felt that we needed to include this in here yeah. because even I felt very just upset by the insanity Yeah, that, that they had that to. That was the Harp Brothers. Or, 
the harps. Yeah, they they were rough, and uh, and uh, do we have any inklings on what our uh, next episode's gonna be? Um. Not a clue. <laughs> now you know what we're leave it up in the air. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have actually. A... There you go. There's there's your there's your hint. Uh, we'll just leave it up in the air for now. Um, All right. And then I'll just go on another TED talk about a thing that I like to talk about. All yeah. right, we'll be doing dealer's choice on this one. All right, so it's up in the air. Uh, with all of that being said, everybody, I want to thank you all for listening to this episode. I know it was a lot to process, and it was a roller coaster of a trip. I mean, if you like this episode, please give us a rating and review. Tell your friends and have them tell their friends. Word of mouth really does help us out with podcasts like this. Yeah. And like this was a tough one, so do take yeah. care of your, so do take care of yourselves, okay? Like if you're struggling or anything, seek out help or if you've noticed some notice a friend of yours like is having issues, yeah. get with Talk them, please. Them. Like don't let them wallow in in, in silence, please. Be there for them. Sometimes a helping hand is more than enough. But if you want to follow us more on social media, you can find us on Tall and Short Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, where we'll reveal post photos, which is just mostly, which is mostly just illustrations of the yeah, harps. There visual are, aid to what we're talking about. There is no, there are no known portraits of the guys. So, and thank God, thankfully. Uh, you can also email us at tallandshortpod at gmail.com, which can be found in the show notes if you keep if you miss out on that one. It's all good. Once again, thank you all for tuning in. Hope you all have an amazing day. Be kind to yourselves, be kind to others, and stay awesome. And be sure to tune in for more Tall and Short. Bye. See you.